I too would like to welcome you to our services today, especially if you're visiting with us, and we hope you'll be back every opportunity you have. Uh, one of the uh, messages that we should have conveyed about uh, Jacob McCorkle is his family's requested no visitors at all. He's uh, not doing well, so uh, they would prefer that none of us venture out to uh, try to visit him at this time. You know, it's uh, my privilege today to begin our series of studies about women of the Bible. Uh, we have numerous women mentioned in the Word of God that have been very dynamic and very important to God and His kingdom. Now this series, we're not going to cover anywhere close to all of them. We're not even going to scratch the surface hardly, but we are going to address a few of them. But if we're going to talk about women, we probably should start at the beginning, which is in Genesis, the first chapter. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. A couple of things to note about this, especially in light of our current culture. Number one, we're created in the image of God. Have you ever thought about what that means? You ever sit down and thought, how can I be in the image of God? I mean, I can think about my image as I look at it in a mirror. I can think about your image as I see you. If I see photographs of you, I will recognize you. What does that mean God's created us in his image? Think about that as you go through your day and do the things you do. Another thing to note here is that he created us male and female. Now, there's nothing our culture can do that's going to change that. They can line up thousands of scientists, and they have, doctors and psychologists and you know the game, that say that gender is a choice and you can be whatever you want to be. No, you can't. Your sex and DNA were established at conception. God made that choice. And there is nothing we're going to do to change it. We can change our appearance. We can do a lot of things to alter what people may think. But we're not going to change how God created us. And it doesn't matter what we do. We can go through surgeries and change our body's anatomy. That's not going to change how God made us. God made you who you are. Appreciate that and enjoy. Genesis 2 and 7, And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. A living soul. That makes us different than any other creation God has made. God took dust, dirt, Informed us. I know that I've, whenever I was growing up, I would uh, 
take mud and I'd make little guys, you know, and I'd set them around. And I wonder if that's what God did. Did he make a clay model of us? And then breathe the breath of life into us? I don't know. Someday we will. But I don't know how he did it. But God made us different than any other of his creatures because he breathed into us the breath of life that made us a living soul, which means we will live forever. Verse 18, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helpmate for him. By the time this happened, Adam had already reviewed all of the species in God's creation. In fact, Adam named them all. He chose the names that are still used today to name all the creatures God had created. But he didn't find any one of these to be acceptable to him as a helpmate. Thank you, Adam. That would have been terrible, wouldn't it? So none of them were acceptable. So what did God do? Verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead. Verse 22. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. God made this perfect, unique woman for Adam. He built into this woman everything Adam would want or need. And God's women still provide that same thing today. The perfect helpmate for God's people. Verse 23. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Our culture is not going to change that, brethren. Our culture would have us believe that there's no difference between a man and a woman. In fact, for years, they actually taught that in school. I think they're kind of knocking off of that approach now because it's so much scientific evidence that refutes it. But the woman was taken out of the man. I want you to think about that. Look at verse 24. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife, and she shall be flesh. What does cleave mean? I mean, seek out, acquire, stick to, adhere to. Man is going to leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Now, there's a lot more in that statement of one flesh than just the physical union of a man and a woman, and we don't have time to go into that today. We've talked a little bit about that in the past. But one flesh means united in all things. Would that describe your marriage? If it wouldn't, there's something wrong. Things to note about this. 
The woman was created after the man. As my good friend Gerald Hanley loved to say, God made Eve second. He perfected his creation when he created the woman. There's a lot of proof of that statement. He chose the rib of Adam, which is close to his heart. He didn't take a bone out of his foot or his little toe or his ear, or his sinus cavity, or whatever. He chose a rib so that she would be close to his heart and be equal to him. He's not to trot over he's not to reign over her, and she's not to reign over him. He chose a rib which makes her close to his heart, which is exactly where our women should be today, close to our heart. Verse 28, and God blessed them, and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over everything that moves upon the earth. Another part of God's word that culture would have us to deny as they attempt to establish that animals have rights, plants have rights, every other thing in God's creation has rights equal to man and woman. No. God said that we should subdue and have dominion. That means reign over all of his creation. But you know there was a problem that arose after that. Sin came into being. You know, Satan was able to deceive and lie to Eve and cause her to violate the only commandment God had given Adam and Eve. And that's to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Only one thing they had to do to stay in paradise forever was not eat of that tree, but Satan was able to Eve, and she ate. And then she went to Adam, and he too ate. And of course, that brought about the downfall of mankind from the garden. It also revealed something that God would address multiple times in word over the next centuries and that is that this perfect helpmate that God's created will have such an influence over the men in her life that she will be able to persuade him to do things for good or for bad. Paul said in 1 Timothy 2 beginning in 13 for Adam was first formed in Eve and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Because man gave in to woman. Adam gave in to Eve. God knew this was a problem. Whenever Joshua was preparing his armies to take the promised land, God told them in Deuteronomy 7, beginning in verse 2, and when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them 
Thou shalt utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. Wow. He goes on from there. Verse 3. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. No marriages. Why? Verse 4, for they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. And you know, Joshua and his armies did this for years. As they moved through the promised land, beginning at Jericho and moving forward, they followed God's instructions. But then they stopped. What happened? Why did they stop doing that? All we can do is speculate. We're not told. <coughs> Excuse me. I suspect that God's soldiers got tired of slaughtering defenseless men and defenseless women and children in all these places they were taken. But I don't know. But that's what God told them to do, and they stopped doing that, and we know what happened. They began to take women from these places they conquered and made them their wives. And their sons began to marry women from these pagan cultures, and their daughters began to marry men from these pagan cultures, and they began to depart from God, and it created Yes, we see revealed as we go through the Old Testament over and over again as God's people fall away and come back. You know, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6 and 14, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what the fellowship, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? This instruction, this command, this admonition is just as relevant today as it was when it was written thousands of years ago. And we see the results over and over again when we violate this command. Remember what God said in Genesis 2 and 24, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. This is a great pro. There's nothing more beautiful than two Christians marrying and building a home. It's a blessing to them, their children, and all those around them. But unfortunately, we have this idea that it really doesn't matter who I date or who I marry because it'll all work out in the end. And maybe that's true. It does work out in the end from time to time. But if you're in a relationship, if you're dating or seeing a person that is not a member of God's family, you need to stop and think about that, and y'all need to have that discussion 
because if that person you're being attracted to is not interested in pursuing God and becoming a part of his family, you need to walk away. That's hard to do sometimes, but that's what you need to do because if you don't, the end result will probably be that your family is in turmoil. And you'll look up in about 20 or 30 years and see that your children are nowhere around the church because of the family life they live through. And your family will be lost. You know, we seem to justify things because of our heart, don't we? This is what my heart tells me I should do. If it feels this right, how can it be wrong? You ever heard that? I know this is right. It can't be wrong. It's, I know. I feel it. It's all emotion. Remember what Jeremiah said in 17 verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Most people don't think about that verse. Because in the heart and the mind is bound up all of our emotions. And we tend to look at relationships from an emotional point of view. How do I feel? How does this person make me feel? Am I happy? This is what I want. Just because we justify a certain activity in our minds and hearts does not make it right. And I want to give you one example of this. There's multiple examples in the book. The wisest man on the face of the earth, save our Lord, was Solomon. And he could not resist the power of his wives. You know, Solomon actually talked one-on-one -on -one with God on more than one occasion. You ever thought about that? That's how close he was to God when he was a young man. God gave him this wisdom that made him the most powerful, the most wealthy, the man on earth that had it all. That was Solomon. And of course, part of having it all was having a thousand wives and concubines. Whatever he wanted, he got. But he chose women, at least to a great that were not part of God's kingdom. And we read in 1 Kings 11 and 4, for it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods and his heart was perfect with the Lord his God as was the heart of David his father. This man was corrupted by the women he chose. If it can happen to Solomon, it can happen to anybody. Be sure you choose wisely. But there are many, many examples of exceptional women, women of renown in the Bible that God has used down through the ages of time in service to him and his kingdom. 
And there are a few of those that come to mind. I don't think that we're going to talk about all these women over the course of this series in detail. Some of them, yes. Some of them, probably not. But I think of Sarah, the wife of Abraham. She's called the mother of nations. And then think about Rahab. Rahab was a harlot that lived on top of the wall of Jericho. But because of her faith, she saved the spies Joshua sent into Jericho. And when the walls of Jericho came down and every living thing in that massive city was killed and destroyed, Rahab and her family walked out. It made such an impression that we see her name listed by Paul in the Hebrews letter. You remember when he's lining up all the great people of faith in the history of God, Hebrews 11 and 31. Ruth. You know, Ruth was not a Jew. She was not a Hebrew. Ruth was a Moabite. But yet this woman that was foreign to the Jews, to the Hebrews, she was a Gentile, ended up marrying Boaz, and her son, Obed, was the grandfather of King David. And we know Christ came out of the house of David. Faithful daughter-in-law, faithful to God, And her status was that through her lineage, the Lord came. What about Deborah? I'm sure most of you maybe are familiar with the name. You may not know much about Deborah. She was married to a common, ordinary guy, a man named Liptosh. Nothing significant about him and what they were doing. But this is a woman that lived during the time the Canaanites occupied and controlled Israel. And they were very ruthless in their treatment of the Jews. Their general was Sisera. He commanded an army of tens of thousands of troops. He actually had 900 chariots of iron in at his disposal with his army. Now think about that. This was written chariots of iron? That would be like today, an army having 900 tanks and you've got rock. That's the way it kind of lines up. But Deborah saw what was happening and she's the one that stepped out and rallied the people. You see the Barak of the Jewish army had given up. All the soldiers had gone home. He had gone home. He'd gone back to his village. There's nothing they could do. There's nothing they could bring against this massive army and force to change it. They just had to live with it. And living with it meant that these soldiers would go through the land from time to time. And as they came to your farm or your town or your city, they took everything. You take your crops, your animals, whatever you had that was worse. They just took it. And you were left to fend for yourself. And this had gone on for years. Never stepped up and said, 
This woman that came from no place important, that probably nobody knew until that time, rallied the people. She gained such influence in the land that she went to Barak and told him to get his army together. They were going to defeat Sisera and his army. About the 900 chariots around. Don't matter. God's with us. We're going to win. Barak said, okay, I'll go, but in one condition, you've got to go too. You've got to be standing right beside me when we take this battle on. And she said, fine, she would do that. And she told Barak that day that the Lord will sell Sisera to a woman. And as the battle unfolded and Sisera's army was destroyed, his iron chariots sunk into the mud and the mire, and he's running for his life. He finally seeks refuge in the tent of a woman named Jeriel and collapses and falls asleep. And she takes a tent peg out of that tent and with one blow, pounds it through his temple from one side to the other and he dies. That's Deborah. What about Esther? You ever thought about Esther? Esther became the most powerful woman in the world. She was the most beautiful, desirable woman when Xerxes, the king of Persia, decided that he wanted to find the most beautiful, desirable woman in his kingdom. Now, you've got to remember, his kingdom went from the Pacific to the Atlantic. Like 130 or 40 different countries that comprise his kingdom. You may not remember him, but I'm sure you've all seen the movie or read the story about the 300 Spartans. You know, the battle they engaged, that was against Xerxes as he brought his million-man army to conquer Greece. The 300 Spartans stood in the pass, and they fought for two or three days, and of course they all ended up dying. He ended up winning. Uh, that's this guy, a ruthless man. He held the lives of everybody in the world in the palm of his hand. All he had to do was say, they're gone, and they're gone. Yet, Esther became his bride became queen, and she exercised such influence with the king, the most powerful man in the world, that she saved the Jewish nation from destruction. And saw the number two man in that kingdom who was going to destroy all the Jews hanged on his own gallows. Let's go forward, what about Anna? Remember Anna? Very old, probably more than 100 years old, went to the temple every day. She was the very first person to proclaim that Jesus was Christ. What about Martha and Mary? Two sisters. You know, Martha is the first person to hear Jesus say, I am the resurrection and life. He that believes in me, though dead, shall have eternal life. That's in John 11, 25 and 26. Salome, 
Nothing important about her, just she's the mother of James and John. Two of the most dynamic apostles the Lord would have. How about Lydia? Lydia wasn't a Jew, she was Greek. She is the very first Christian convert in Europe. She was a wealthy businesswoman. But she obeyed the gospel. Paul would spend, when he was in the area, that's where he stayed. Her home becomes the first church in Europe. Lois and Eunice mother and grandmother of Timothy. And then, of course, there's Mary, the mother of Christ, whom Gabriel said was blessed among all women. All these women and so many others played an important dynamic role in God's kingdom. Women today play an important and dynamic role in God's kingdom. You play that role for you ladies in the audience today. And don't ever forget that. You raise these children. These children that are the future of the church. You Support and encourage your husbands. There is not a leader in the Lord's church that could do that job without the support and the encouragement of a good and godly woman. Amen. You know, it really doesn't matter what your background is, where you come from. Think of all these women I just mentioned. Some of them, Rahab the harlot. Look at her background. But yet her faith in God saved her and her family, and it was so remarkable that Paul wrote about her in Hebrew when he was given that lineup in the Old Testament. That's where you've been. What matters is where you're going. What matters is what you're doing. Think about Titus 2, 3, and 4. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becomes holiness, not false accusers, not twine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober and love their husbands and to love their children. To be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Women play a very important dynamic role in God's kingdom, and that includes you here today. Without you, the church will disappear. Because men can't do it. We have to have the support of good and godly women 
to help us do our job and to bring these children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And men, don't do anything to this in your wife. These women need to be given the opportunity to do those things that support the kingdom of God. Now, sometimes it's not convenient. You know, you find out that what you were expecting to do today is not what's going to happen because your wife is going to be involved in doing church work. And maybe that didn't fit into your plans. Don't stand in their way. Support them as they do those things that they see they can do to support God's kingdom. Women are very important in the Lord's church. You are very important. You are vital to the work of the church here at La Prana. You have to be here to keep things going in the right direction. I know the men stand up here and participate publicly in service. But without you, none of us would have that ability or opportunity, probably. Certainly not the opportunity that we have to do the Lord's work. You are vitally important. Don't forget that. It's never too late for you to pick up that banner and begin to use it. Most of the women I just mentioned had no idea they were going to be put in the position they were in even a year before they were placed there. They had no idea what was coming. But their faith put them in a position to do great, powerful, and wonderful things for God's people. That still happens today. If your husband is a godly man, it's thanks to God and thanks to you. And for the young ladies in our audience today, your charge is to pick a man for your mate that's going to help you grow in your Christian walk. That you will have the opportunity to be one of these dynamic, wonderful, powerful women in God's kingdom. That every man that steps up does things for God's church. There's not a leader in the Lord's church that doesn't have or has had a wonderful godly woman at his side and behind him. Holy women of God whose adornment is a meek and quiet spirit. We find that in 1 Peter 3, 1 through 5. We're going to spend time studying different women in God's kingdom found in the Bible. I want to encourage each of you here as we go through these studies to think about yourself and how important you are in God's kingdom. It's never too late. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, 
oh man, I've made so many mistakes, I can't ever come back from this. I'm, I'm not too much. No. You haven't messed things up too much. You're not Rahab running a house at your repute out of your home on top of the building. So no, you haven't messed things up. Just make up your mind that you want to be the woman of God that he would like for you to be. Faith. Trust in God to give you the ability, the strength, the courage, the faith to do his work. And uh, we'll try to keep the men from getting in the way too much. That concludes my comments this morning. I have not really talked a lot about first principles, but if you've been sufficiently taught and would choose to become a member of the family of God today, we're here, the water's ready. Or perhaps there's something else that we might could help you or assist you with. We would invite you to come as we stand and sing.